Welcome to Ad Chatter, the podcast from adpulp.com, where we gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about ads and the ad business. Hello again, friends and colleagues. We're back with another edition of Ad Chatter. I am your co-host, David Byrne, in Austin, Texas. We're also joined by Dan Goldgeier in Howdy. Seattle. Hi, Dan. How are you? Doing great, David. How are you? Excellent. Today, we have a very special guest, which I'm excited to talk about and with and whom uh, on Ad Chatter. And her name is Maggie Windsor Gross. And she's the head Hi of... There. Hi, Maggie. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Hey, how are you? We're great. Maggie, you're the head of strategy at Studios at Deloitte Digital, which we're going to ask you about in a minute. Uh, Maggie, you're, you've been doing some important work helping CMOs prove that an investment in brand marketing is a good idea and good for the future health, uh, economic health of their companies. Um, so I love that. And that's what's brought us to the table today. Um, so we need to hear about this. We need to learn about this. So Maggie, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and Deloitte Digital and, and what led to uh, some of the work that you've been doing lately. Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for having me um, and, and really, really excited to be here. Um, I'm Maggie Gross, as you, as you said, and um, part of what really led me to um, develop this tool and ultimately work at a place like Deloitte is I believe that creativity has the power to change the world. And I believe that a lot of our creative thinking gets stuck in the confines of TV, print, radio, out of home, really limited briefs. And I really believe that brand thinking and those big ideas can do so, so much more. Um, and so I ultimately joined a place like Deloitte to help creativity solve the business problem. And I developed brand worth to help prove the business impact of branding. And so it's all connected, but it's really in service of making sure that our creative ideas can live in these bigger places and have the impact that we all know they're capable of. So you mentioned their brand worth, which is the, the, the name of the project, I guess we'll call it, that you've been working on. And we want to hear more about what that is. Of course, I love the sound of it. Um, getting into the details of how you bring this forward into the C-suite and talk about the real economic value of brand is what we want to hear from you. And how do you do that? Yeah. So um, one of the most um, common questions that I get asked is um, we tend to work with CMOs and folks in the marketing divisions of their respective orgs, and they already believe in the value of brand. They believe that brand matters. They believe that creativity matters. And particularly in times of downturn economies, um, a lot of times their budgets get cut or their CFO starts asking them to prove the sort of impact of what they do. And that typically has two outcomes. The first is they will build some sort of model that proves that, you know, one impression results in a person, um, you know, either considering or making a purchase. Those are notoriously hard to get right. 
and they don't usually um, accurately reflect the true value and impact of branding. And um, if they can do that really well, a lot of times the CFO will say, okay, I, I believe you and kind of um, continue their budget for another couple of years before they ask another question or they get stumped. Um, and the CFO will either cut their budget or ask them to do a little bit more of like a direct response campaign to ultimately build some sort of, some sort of model that proves the impact. And um, I am a, a bit of a data nerd, so I am by no means um, anti-measurement, but I believe that measuring creativity in, in those ways actually does more harm sometimes than good. Um, because what you're starting to do is you're taking the strength of an idea and you're trying to attribute, did somebody act right in the moment? And a lot of times they may not act right in the moment. They may act um, a couple weeks later. Um, and so it's really, really important for us to be able to help our clients explain that in a meaningful way to the CFO, what the kind of return on that investment is. And then I think equally important, once the CMO um, has kind of made that case, help them actually shape their brand into um, the financial asset that it really can be and generate growth that sort of far exceeds those expectations. Dan, um, that was a lot to chew on from Maggie. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, start, let's start asking some hard questions. Hard sure. Yeah, let's, but I'd like to back up a second because um, we, we really didn't set the stage for, for uh, what Deloitte is doing right now. And, you know, for the last several years, advertising agencies have been uh, facing a lot of different kind of competition from uh, clients building in-house departments to public relations firms to who are branching out into, you know, greater marketing communications, including owned and earned media. And one of the biggest ones, threats to conventional advertising agencies have been uh, consultancies like Deloitte. I noticed that uh, in your LinkedIn profile, you also work at Heat, which was, which is part of Deloitte, and it was a very big deal about four years ago when, four or five years ago when Deloitte bought Heat. Heat was based in San Francisco, I think, um, which was mostly in you know a traditional sort of an ad agency model, and got absorbed into Deloitte. I'd like to ask you. I'd like to back up a second and say, okay, when you joined the firm, did you join Heat or did you join before the merger, after the merger? What led you to be part of this organization? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, I joined right during the merger. Um, I joined, so you knew what you were getting into? I knew exactly what I was getting into. Okay. I joined because of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I have so much heart and excitement for what Heat as a brand stood for. They were all about the element of surprise. They had done this amazing work that was really winning a lot of awards in Cannes. And they were using media and creativity and technology in really interesting ways. So I was excited by the things that they were doing, but I knew that the place that I wanted to go next, I had been at media agencies, digital agencies, and traditional agencies. I didn't want to go to just another agency. And I don't right. mean that that Heat was just another agency because there's something really special about Heat. But I wanted to go to a place where as a strategist, I was being asked to solve more than just a comms or a marketing problem. And I knew that by coming to a place where a consultancy had just acquired sort of a creative powerhouse, I could actually have the chance to still work with creatives, to still make solutions, and also be able to solve big, big problems. So when, so when you, now that you're part of Deloitte, you go into uh, engagements with 
Fortune 500 companies or any any client, what is what is the what's the elevator pitch about working with a company like Deloitte versus a BBDO or just part of the you know another holding company agency? Yeah, well, I think from um, there's there's a number of opportunities. I think one of them is that we're able to connect um, again the sort of creativity with the business problem. I think. Traditional agencies will say that, and they always want to do that, but they may not necessarily have the resources to really understand what's going on at the enterprise level. Mm -hmm. They may not have human capital folks on hand that can actually help if it's a, um, you know, a, a staffing issue. Or sometimes clients' problems to us as creative thinkers might seem like marketing problems, but sometimes mm -hmm. they're even bigger than that. So we're right. able to bring in expertise from all of the possible areas that Deloitte really gets involved in. Um, and I think another kind of benefit is uh, not to get too much into the weeds, but unlike sort of traditional holding companies, we don't really have different P&Ls. And so if I want to bring in an expert in human capital in technology to speak with my CMO about some kind of random issue that they've been thinking through, I don't have to make 17 different calls. I can just shoot an email to the expert in that sector and ask if they wouldn't mind joining a conversation. Um, and so it allows me as the strategist to be a heck of a lot more informed and a lot more useful to my clients. And then because of that, it translates from my perspective into better briefs. Our creative teams feel like they know what the real problem is that they're solving. Um, and we also aren't just making ads anymore. We're actually making you know, creative solutions to those business problems. <clears throat> what I like in what you're saying and what the offering is, is that you're able to pretty much seamlessly move into operations. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's where uh, brand promise sort of the, the rubber hits the road on that. And what I have found personally is that when I try to cross that bridge, um, you know, from my creative silo, there's just the, what are you talking to me about my uh, business's backend operations for? I hired you to, you know, sell some more product or something. And it's so obvious that this all goes together. Um, so... I'm made uncomfortable by the fact that the consultants in the room um, are able to argue that and, and possibly deliver that where we can't, because to me, that is where we are today, whether you're in a, in a firm like Deloitte digital or some other firm, a small firm, that's got to be part of the discussion. And it just seems like, it's a difficult discussion to have because that's not what the clients are often coming to us, the creative people for. Hmm. It's really interesting. Um, one of the things I've noticed is sometimes clients inadvertently treat their creative teams like vendors, not advisors or partners. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, I, I think it's because of the way that, we as an industry have treated clients, and I say we, meaning the advertising industry, has treated clients for the last 30 years, um, trying to sell more ads versus actually trying to solve the problem. Um, and one of the best parts about a consultancy is they, at least Deloitte in particular, we have 150 plus years of heritage of doing right by our clients, even when it's something that we can't sell. Um, and I think that trust 
has been built over time. It's a it's incredibly freeing because we don't have that same level of scrutiny, but it's also a huge mantle of responsibility. Um, so it encourages us to continue to be really objective advisors. And sure, of course, I would love to um, you know, help them with a rebrand, but part of the benefit of this sort of thing that we've built in brand worth allows us to also have a discussion of, is branding the right place for you to invest? And if the answer is no, it's actually completely okay for me to tell them that um, because that's really what's you know, doing right by them. And ultimately they may have a need for branding down the road, but if it's not what's gonna help them drive their growth and they need to instead focus on operational uh, solutions or human capital solutions, those are things we can you know, obviously direct them in the right place for, but we can say, hey, brand, as much as you love brand and I love brand, it may not be the right place to focus right now. Yeah. Do you have a, if you're free to talk about it, do you have a specific example of a client that you've solved those kind of operational problems for, or uh, they came to you, came to Deloitte thinking we need to solve X, but then you came back and said, we need to solve, you really need to solve Y. Yeah. Yeah. I can give you a couple of examples. Um, So we have a shoe manufacturer that we worked with that was really just looking to make an ad campaign. Um, They wanted some some ads that made people want to buy the shoe from their website instead of walk into a store because obviously we know that um, you know ultimately you, you get a, a bit higher return when you sell direct to consumer and so we use brand worth to help them not just understand what this campaign should be so if you're thinking from a traditional creative standpoint not just the insight and the strategy but the role that brand played in the entire purchase journey from three of their different audiences. And ultimately we built a plan for them that was all about rebranding what they stood for, owning something entirely different in the market, and then developing a campaign that brought that to life, not just a campaign that helped them sell more shoes. Mm. And it wound up driving about 30% year on year sales growth. Um, So that's one good example where we said, hey, we'd love to make you an ad campaign, but let's actually take a step back and figure out the role of brand, not just in the awareness part of your campaign, but throughout the entire funnel. Um, I can give a couple other examples too. We worked with a QSR, uh, sort of quick service restaurant to help them understand how, you know, they were thinking about their, their product and their digital experience. And we, we said, you know, there's a there's kind of a mashup between brand and product together in both your physical stores and in your digital experiences. So we did some brand worth analysis that helped them understand the role that each sort of element of their brand, there's, there's sort of four metrics in brand worth, both values alignment, experience satisfaction, message memorability, and share of culture. So we helped them identify which of those four elements was actually the greatest driver of return throughout, again, throughout that purchase journey and the sort of brand elements that should kind of halo into digital experience and, you know, what elements of their brand should come to life in the website versus the advertising versus, you know, the in-store experience um, and kind of help them drive about 40% lower cost per acquisition. So again, it it not only made the work more effective, but it helped them with that return on the investment for their their CFO that might've been asking questions. Can can you speak a little bit more to these metrics that you just um, spoke of under brand worth? Because um, things like share of culture, uh, how how do you go about measuring something like that? 
Yeah. So um, that's a that's a great question. So the first thing we think about at Deloitte is that we believe that brand is a financial asset, not just a marketing asset. And so everything we measure in brand is to try to kind of prove the efficiency of its ability to drive growth. Um, and so this unique sort of data set in brand worth helps us essentially set out what is the sort of role that brand can drive in growth and then these four metrics. Um, so brand worth measures four things that we historically have seen the most successful brands have. Um, and before I jump into them, I want to sort of note that they're not all equal in every single category. So some categories, one of these is the most important and the other three may not matter versus in other categories, maybe all four are equal. So that's something that we can also dig into in brand worth and ultimately helps creatives make more impactful and meaningful um, work in the world. So the four sort of metrics for brand worth, the first is called values alignment. And that really measures whether an audience feels the organization kind of shares their values and motivates them to engage. So you see a lot of um, sort of charitable organizations do really, really well here, but you don't have to be a charitable org to have that. You just have to be kind of like a purpose-driven brand. Um, the second metric is called experience satisfaction. And this measures whether the products and experiences leave the audience satisfied and wanting more. And some of the questions around that are, um, was the purchase easy? Is it enjoyable to own this? So we don't just get the experience satisfaction once you're an owner, but actually the experience of buying or even engaging with it before you're in that, in that funnel. Um, some of the brands that you would imagine that do really well here that are super digitally enabled, have a really easy purchase journey pop, but they don't have to be digital brands to do well. Um, you can just, it's, it's really more of like a human centered design mentality of that. I tend to see of the brands that do really well in experience satisfaction. The third metric is called message memorability. And that's probably what all sort of ad people would think is the typical gold standard for what might be measured um, in, in ad campaigns. So whether your messages are reaching the audience at the right time, capturing their attention, creating desire, making people remember and like them. So I tend to see a high correlation with this metric and just frankly, media budgets, because we all know that the more you spend, the more people may remember your message, but it um, you can very quickly kind of turn people off if you don't have great creative. So this is really important to make sure you have uh, super talented, creative people at the helm. And then finally, that fourth metric is called share of culture. And this is this sort of philosophical or theoretical idea of whether a brand is broadening relationships, participating with audiences, not just talking to them. And it's essentially measured by are people talking about this brand with their friends positively? Are they hearing about it positively in the news? And you know that that has a huge impact on their likelihood to engage in a purchase. So, how does Deloitte Digital go about making the measurements? Though, do you what kind of research are you bringing to the table to assess this? Yeah, we have a, um, a survey based. We have a uh, panel of about 600,000 unique respondents who we've been measuring since early 2016. Um, and we're able to actually track and measure over time for brands. So we've asked people across about 24,000 brands what they think about them. 
Um, not just for those four metrics, but we've also measured, are you aware of this brand? Would you consider this brand? Um, have you made a purchase with this brand? Which for um, any of your listeners that are kind of mathy, basically gives us the foundation to prove that a 1% increase in brand worth results in about a billion dollar increase in revenue. Um, and so that's how we're able to do that is we sort of, we ask people how they think, and then we look at the organization's annual reports and publicly traded sort of 10K numbers and come back with what that return on the investment can be. So in recent, in recent years, we've seen a lot of startup brands, DTC brands. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's probably never been easier to get a national or even global traction for a small startup. Do you find that the brand worth um, is easier or is it are newer brands um, have a better time uh, gaining traction in the brand worth than, let's say, a legacy brand? Do people feel more passionate about newer brands than, let's say, Kraft Heinz or something like that? Or has, you know, decades of, of traditional media advertising sort of baked that, baked that sort of brand worth into these brands? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, I haven't actually seen any data that suggests one is better than the other. Mm -hmm. It really proves that the impact that a, a brand team makes can really make a difference. And what I mean by that is um, you can have a really, really impressive and solid brand that scores really well, that goes from sort of brand building activities and market to a very transactional, you know, ad for a click, um, and you can start to see their brand erode in market. So, mm -hmm. um, a new entrant that you know doesn't focus on building brands will, you know, not have super great brand worth scores. A mm -hmm. legacy brand that has built an incredible brand but has focused less on supporting their brand and has just made it quite transactional will will also see their their numbers decline. Mm. Um, which again says that, you know, branding is an ongoing relationship. It's not a set it and forget it. You don't just, you know, imagine Tony the tiger and you've got, you know, you've got gold forever. You always have to continue to hone and refine that and invest yeah. into it. You talked earlier about the CMOs who are already, you know, big believers in brand, and of course, because they're the chief marketing officers, but um, what would you say, just generally speaking, you know, maybe even to a smaller uh, enterprise or a smaller company where, you know, the leaders of the company have gotten to where they've gotten through product development and so forth and sales teams and just aren't, you know, believers in brand and they don't want to spend millions of dollars to find out how, uh, how it really works. Um, yeah. Even though they might use an Apple computer and know right there that that's how it really works, but they can't seem to connect the dots. So what would you say to a non-believer? Yeah. Well, the first thing is, um, you know, your brand is a financial asset, not just a marketing asset. And so like any other financial asset of your business, um, you can either use it or it can kind of sit there and not make you as much money. Um, and so if they're an organization that has grown without the use of brand, I would say that, you know, brand is actually one of the most efficient drivers of enterprise growth. So if you haven't tapped into brand in the past, Brand impacts the decisions of not just your sort of consumers, but your employees, your partners, and even investors. Um, and what we've seen, at least in brand worth, is 
sort of brand is, is more correlated with your revenue returns than things like awareness, positive impressions, and even net promoter score. Um, and so it really is, you know, no matter what sort of phase of growing your business you're in, brand is a really excellent way to drive efficient enterprise growth. I'm a believer, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're, yeah, we're recording this in July, uh, 2021. We've just been through a year and a half of unprecedented times. What are you hearing from CMOs right now going forward about what they need to succeed in this post COVID world? Well, we're still not out of it, unfortunately, yeah. but you know, it's certainly changed the way a lot of people think and live and buy, um, certainly the percentage of the population that was locked down. What are their concerns now? What are you hearing from them? Yeah, I mean, they're still they're still asking those same questions around, you know, how do I prove to my CFO that I'm going to get them a good return on the, the budget that they invest within marketing? Um, how do I prove that marketing and brand is actually the foundation of our growth and not kind of the final thing that we spend on once we have grown? Um, and they're really looking for um, partners and sort of teams that they can work with that sort of have, um, you know, understanding of the category and the business needs that, that they, that they kind of have that they're struggling with. They can, they're looking for partners that can bring them actionable insights, things mm -hmm. like proprietary tools or data sets, but they also want breakthrough design thinking, breakthrough creative ideas, um, all kind of wrapped around a growth focus. So they want the business thinkers, they want the insights, they want the creative thinkers, and they they want us to be able to prove that those choices that they make can drive growth. Um, so that's what's what's I think really weighing heavily on at least the clients' minds that I've been speaking with lately. If it doesn't sell, it doesn't work. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Maggie Windsor Gross, thank you so much for your time today and your ability to explain this uh, to us human creative creatures who are wondering how to get bigger budgets and less pushback from um, our clients. Uh, whether you're at the enterprise level or dealing with a small business, um, the question of brand value is always there. So Dan, Thank you for your amazing questions today. Yeah. Thank you, Maggie. And thank you, yeah, Maggie. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of Ad Chatter. We will be back soon with more. Thank you. Engineered by Dan Goldgeier in Seattle, Washington.